At Speedway, we've always been here to get you what you need when you need it. We're committed to keeping our stores open, clean, and safe, so you can stay fueled and refreshed all summer long. We've got cold drinks for hot days and frozen drinks for even hotter ones, plus energy boosts, quick bites, and pick-me-ups. We're always on your way, and we're always here for you. So no matter what you need, when you stop by, we'll be ready. Now buy any three cooler beverages and get 500 bonus Speedy Rewards points. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Here to set you free. Happy Tuesday. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only True Democracy and Talk. Want to welcome back everybody watching on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, Twitter Live, which is Periscope. A great show in store for you today as we try and provide for you each and every day in this time slot here with me and the other people that sit in for me on the show, uh, like Mark Levine, Brad Bannon, Generation Progress, uh, and others. Uh, but in this hour, we have a great guest that's going to be joining us a little bit later. But right now, we'd like to start it off by doing something we normally do at the top of the hour when I, Leslie Marshall, am hosting, and that is check what is ripped. President Trump's executive action calling on states to provide 25% of an additional $400 in weekly unemployment benefits, which Americans lost 11 days ago, by the way, poses significant administrative burdens and costs. Now, that's according to not just Democrats, but bipartisan letter from the leaders of the National Governors Association. Now, why does this matter? Many states have had their budgets decimated by this coronavirus pandemic. They can't afford pitching in an extra $100 extra per unemployed resident. Look at how many people that is in the state when you look at the unemployment rolls. Several state unemployment officials um, uh, told Axios that they don't even know how the program works and that any changes to state unemployment systems would take weeks to implement. What are they saying? Quote, we appreciate the White House's proposals to provide additional solutions to address economic challenges. However, we are concerned about the significant administrative burdens and costs this latest action would place on the states. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, a Democrat, and Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, a Republican, had both agreed to this in a letter signed by them and other governors just yesterday. Uh, the NGA has requested $500 billion in unrestricted state aid, and NGA continues to urge Congress and the White House to reach a quick resolution to provide immediate assistance to unemployed Americans. And if you remember, when the president got on Obama for executive orders over and over, over. You can Google that. You can watch video, hear audio of it, or just read uh, on, on not just blogs, but, you know, news outlets that he constantly got on Obama uh, for trying to govern via executive order. Well, what is he trying to do here? A true president, a true leader, in my opinion, does what Bill Clinton did. Bill, if Bill Clinton could work with Newt Gingrich, Donald Trump can work with Nancy Pelosi. And, and, and hey, look, the bottom line here is when Trump was asked, how are you going to pay for it? What did he say? We have the money. Well, if they, the federal government, you know, he feels as president, they have the money and he would know, then why should governors have to foot in the states 25% of that bill, especially during 
a, a pandemic. And some of those states before the pandemic uh, were underwater and couldn't afford that 25%. It's even worse with COVID-19. Let's rip another. We've hit a tipping point in the pandemic. Half of Americans now know someone who's tested positive. Do I know somebody who's tested? I don't know somebody who's tested positive personally, but let me see. One of my husband's partners in uh, one of the surgeons that is his partner, um, two of his medical assistants. I don't know them personally, personally. I know them through my husband and his work. I knew Herman Cain. I sat next to him on the couch on Outnumbered on Fox News Channel. Um, he actually invited me to lunch, not alone with everybody there on the couch. He actually said, oh, you can, I like you, you can come too. In other words, the liberals allowed to join. Um, but we uh, now have hit that tipping point. The half of Americans now know someone who's tested positive, um, according to this week's installment of the Axios Ipsos Coronavirus Index. So why does this matter? Well, in practical terms, the data shows it's everybody's problem now. When we say we're all in this together, we certainly are. We are at week 20 of this national survey, finding that some collateral health damage from being home more. 38% of Americans say they're gaining weight. That's higher among those self-quarantining, obviously. And there's also a silver lining, though. 36 of parents are spending more time with their kids. I guess it depends which kids you have. Love my kids. Love the fact my son has camp just today. Surf camp. Love him. But the break that I get from 8.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. is glorious. By the numbers, and even 50% of respondents now say they know someone who's tested positive for the coronavirus. That's up from 46% last week, 41% a month ago. Numbers have grown, so the predictors have blurred. 55% of Democrats, 49% of Republicans, and 44% of independents surveyed know someone who has tested positive. You're probably one of those people uh, that holds for it. Not that have tested, but know somebody that holds for 51 percent of Midwesterners and Southerners, 49 percent for those in the Northeast, 47 percent of those in Western states. One in four Americans know someone in their own community who's tested positive. One in five knows someone who's died from the virus. And one in five Americans has been tested. The coronavirus is becoming reality for most people, and it will only increase. That's what Cliff Young, president of Ipsos U.S. Public Affairs, said. He said, quote, you still might find large partisan differences, differences in the perceptions of its lethality. It is a shared experience, but that doesn't mean everyone will deal with it in the same way. Oh, and, and, and by the way, uh, Trump now says he would not have called for President Obama to resign if there had been 160,000 deaths when Obama was president, take a listen. 160,000 people had died on President Obama's watch. Do, do you think you would have called for his resignation? No, I wouldn't have done that. I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's been amazing what we've been able to do. If we didn't close up our country, we would have had one and a half or two million people already dead. Uh, we've called it right now. We don't have to close it. We understand the disease. Nobody understood it because nobody's ever seen anything like this. The closest thing is uh, in 1917, they say, right? The, the, great, the great pandemic certainly was a terrible thing where they lost anywhere from 50 to 100 million people. Probably ended the Second World War. All the soldiers were sick. Hmm. Timelines off there. But remember in 2014, yeah, remember in 2014 that Trump claimed that President Obama should resign 
if a single physician with Ebola arrived in New York from Guinea, that doctor was one of only 11 people treated for Ebola in the United States from 2014 to 2016. He and nine others, they all survived. And by contrast, U.S. COVID-19 deaths are now over 160,000. Let's rip another. Congress's failure so far to pass another round of coronavirus aid leaves state and local officials on their own to deal with the soaring cost of holding a presidential election amid this deadly pandemic. That could leave them scrambling to solve problems that surfaced during the primary season in time for the general election in November. The coronavirus outbreak has triggered unprecedented disruptions for election officials across the country. They're dealing with staffing shortages, budget constraints, and they're also trying to figure out how to process a flood of absentee ballot requests. More and more states now have moved to mail-in balloting. It's a safer way to vote, many states feel, and many voters feel. Um, This is what California Secretary of State Alex Padilla said, quote, it is appalling that Congress has not provided the needed resources for state and local election officials during the COVID-19 pandemic. Election officials' ability to fill the gap is nearly impossible given the already strained state and local government budgets. In its first round of virus relief back in March, Congress sent $400 million to state election officials to help cover unexpected costs related to the pandemic. But that's short of the $2 billion that the Brennan Center for Justice said it needs. Quote, Congress's failure to reach a coronavirus deal is imperiling November's elections. That's what Wendy Weiser, director of the Center's Democracy Program, said. She went on further, quote, without an infusion of federal funds, election officials simply won't be able to prepare adequately for the election. And we will see massive meltdowns across the country. In the United States, state and local officials are responsible for administering elections and covering the costs, but there was no way for them to plan for holding an election in the middle of a pandemic, essentially having to deal with a massive surge in absentee absentee ballots, also trying to keep in-person voting options available for many workers, opted out of staffing the polls during the primaries. And according to Ben Hovland, who's chairman of the U.S. Election Assistance uh, Commission, he said, quote, this wasn't in anyone's budget. Uh, By the way, the budget uh, provides support for state and local uh, the um, Election Assistance Commission provides support for state and local election officials. So in other words, Ben can't help. Uh, Experts point to the rocky execution of the primary since the pandemic began, in which there were numerous reports of absentee absentee ballots failing to arrive or rejected for being late. Primaries were marred if you looked at uh, lines in Atlanta, Georgia, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Las Vegas, Nevada, as polling places were consolidated. And uh, Sylvia Albert, voting and elections director with Common Cause, well, she warned lawmakers during a congressional hearing last week and said, quote, without proper funding, guidance and preparedness, the problems seen in previous elections are going to be just the tip of the iceberg this November. If federal money is made available, it could allow local election officials to hire more temporary workers to help process ballot requests and count those ballots on Election Day. It could also be used to boost the pay of poll workers. Between the fiascos with the uh, mail department and and, and the the federal government not wanting to help the states, Trump could be right. We may not know the winner for weeks or months after that general election day in November. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Leslie Marshall, welcome or welcome back. And let's continue with what's ripped from the headlines. 
Dormant sports stadiums have been repurposed in a variety of ways during the pandemic. And with the national election fast approaching, some are being converted into voting locations. More than a vote, the voting rights organization launched by LeBron James and other black athletes like Patrick Mahomes and Sloan Stevens, they've established a bipartisan arena voting advisory group. The goal is to connect teams with local election officials and convert arenas into voting sites, leveraging their size, good for social distancing, obviously they're huge, and location easy to access and find on a map. The Atlanta Hawks, Detroit Pistons, Milwaukee Bucks, Sacramento Kings, and Charlotte Hornets are among the NBA teams that have already established these partnerships. In a memo, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell encouraged teams to consider allowing their stadiums or indoor practice facilities to be used as election centers on Election Day. American democracy, they say, does not have a pause button. That's the advisory group when they wrote a front office sports op-ed They said, quote, during a civil war, two world wars, natural disasters and domestic crises, we have managed to provide our citizens with the tools they need to fulfill the most fundamental civic duty. In this instance, and in the absence of live sports, some of our most treasured civic institutions, our sports teams, can still open their doors to ensure that voting is convenient and safe for all. And I think that's a good mix of sports and politics. And I think most of you would agree. Let's rip another. President Donald Trump was given a series of deadlines to produce his DNA and other evidence as part of mandatory discovery in an ongoing defamation lawsuit. This took place and came down yesterday. E. Jean Carroll, who I'm happy to have follow me on Twitter, and I follow her as well. She is the author and Elle Advice columnist who accused the 45th president of raping her sometime in late 1995 or early 1996. She initially made that accusation one of over 20 sexual assault allegations against Trump during the summer of 2019. Trump later denied the accusation in an interview with The Hill, and Carroll subsequently sued for defamation in the state of New York. A letter sent by Carroll's attorneys notes that prior deadlines for the production of the DNA evidence were put on hold by an appeals court pending the outcome of a decision in a similar case filed by former Apprentice contestant Summer Zervos, who alleged that Trump sexually assaulted her in uh, 2007. Uh, And what they said, um, quote, as a result of that decision, the relevant deadlines in the court's preliminary conference order dated December 12, 2020, are no longer temporarily stayed. That letter was sent to Trump attorney Mark Kasowitz. The letter sets forth the understanding of the current status of the case and discovery in this case as a result of the court's recent decision. The appeals court previously pushed back the relevant discovery deadlines for a period compromising the amount of time from January 31st, 2020 to the date of the court's decision on the defendant's motion to stay plus five business days. Now, Trump's defense team had requested the temporary hold, but on August 7th, the Supreme Court of the state of New York said the hold should expire before then. Justice Verna Saunders determined that a recent landmark U.S. Supreme Court ruling had forced the state's court's hands to decide in favor of the plaintiff. That ruling was the result of a subpoena for the 45th president's financial records filed by Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance. And uh, this is what the judge wrote, quote, this court construes the holding in Vance applicable to all state court proceedings in which a sitting president is involved, including those involving his or her unofficial personal conduct. We are now eager to move forward with discovery so that we can prove that Donald Trump defamed E. Jean Carroll when he lied about her in connection with her brave decision to tell the truth about the fact that Donald Trump had sexually assaulted her. 
That second quote is from Carol's attorney, Roberta Kaplan, obviously not from the judge who needs to be impartial in this case. The upshot of the state court, or any case, the upshot of the state court's ruling is that the parties in the defamation lawsuit will now commence with discovery while still more or less abiding by the original time frame for the pause. So since this day was distinguished by on August 7th, 2020, discovery production must now be back on track by August 14th, 2020. Because that is when the five business days requirement expires. Trump could, however, appeal the state Supreme Court's uh, August 7th ruling. I'm kind of kind of guess he and his attorneys will. Um, but the Trump deadline to respond to Carol's second set of document requests, originally January 30th, 2020, is now August 14th, 2020. And the date set by Carol's first notice to submit to physical examination, which originated March 2nd of this year, is now September 15th, 2020. Uh, that's what uh, Jean Carroll's attorney Kaplan wrote on Monday yesterday. Quote, we can be flexible with respect to the location and method for obtaining Trump's DNA sample in order to accommodate security needs or other issues. Please let us know if you would like to discuss. The letter also rubs Trump's nose, uh, Trump's nose in the decision by Vance. Because the United States Supreme Court has made it clear that presidents are not exempt from giving testimony in civil cases, we fully expect that defendant will testify in a timely manner. President Clinton made time to testify under oath about allegations of sexual harassment. And so President Trump can surely make time to testify about allegations of sexual assault and defamation. His testimony about what he did and what he said will strike to the very heart of the case and offer evidence that cannot be obtained from any other sources. He is obviously required to provide it. We are hopeful that Trump now recognizes, as did Judge Saunders, that Trump v. Vance leaves no doubt that his claim to presidential immunity necessarily fails. The letter concludes, if you intend to appeal Judge Saunders' decision to the First Department, however, please let us know when you would like to meet and confer about such an appeal. So we'll see what happens there. My bet is they're going to appeal and push this past November if they can. Let's rip another. For some of President Trump's loudest cheerleaders, it was a story too good to check out. Black Lives Matter protesters in Portland, Oregon, had burned a stack of Bibles and then topped off the fire with American flags. There was even a video to prove it. The story was a near-perfect fit for a Trump central Trump campaign talking point. And that talking point is that with liberals and Democrats, Democrats comes godless disorder, right? They Everybody assumes I'm an atheist because I'm a Democrat, right? Not true. I believe in God. That with liberals and Democrats comes godless disorder. And it went viral among Republicans within hours of appearing earlier this month online. The New York Post wrote about it, as did the Federalist, saying that the protesters had shown their true colors. Senator Ted Cruz, the Texas Republican, said of the protesters, quote, this is who they are. Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, tweeted that Antifa had moved to the book-burning phase. The truth was far more mundane. A few protesters among the many thousands appear to have burned a single Bible and possibly a second for kindling to start a bigger fire. None of the other protesters seem to notice or care. Yet in the rush to paint all the protesters as Bible-burning zealots, few of the politicians or commentators who weighed in on the incident took the time to look into the veracity of the story or to figure out that it had originated with a Kremlin-backed video news agency. And now, days later, the Portland Bible burnings appears to be one of the first viral Russian disinformation hits of the 2020 presidential campaign. Election days drawing closer. The Russian efforts to influence the vote appear to be well underway. American intelligence officials said last week that Russia was using a range of techniques to denigrate Democrats 
Democrats and their presidents. I say Democrats, that Republicans are going to love that, right? Play, play it on a loop, right? Go back and forth. Russia was using a range of techniques to denigrate Democrats uh, and their presumptive presidential nominee, Joseph R. Biden Jr. And late last month, intelligence officials briefed Congress on Russian efforts, both covert and overt, to stoke anger over the nationwide racial justice protests. That's what's written from the headlines. I'm Leslie Marshall. We're going to be talking with our guest coming up in just a moment. Who is that? Stick around and you'll find out right here. Don't go. Welcoming back somebody who sat in, who's also been a uh, not just a guest host, but a guest on the show. Uh, somebody that I really uh, like and uh, who, like me, is a liberal among a lot of conservatives. Uh, and that's former senior advisor to Joe Biden, uh, Mo Vella. Uh, he served in President Obama's administration as the director of administration and senior advisor in the office of Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, the stint was the second White House appointment for him. He served as chief financial officer and senior advisor on Hispanic affairs for Vice President Al Gore. And he holds the distinction of being the first Hispanic American and gay American to serve twice in a senior executive role in the White House. Find him on Twitter at Movella, at M-O-E-V-E-L-A. Mo, good to have you with us. Welcome back. Thank you. Leslie, you know what a fan I am of yours. I'm like the president of your fan club. Oh, really? Well, I'm going to, someday I'm going to like have to call a favor in that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, I, when I sat in for you, I told Mark, I got emotional, actually, Leslie, because it was like a dream of mine. And you allowed me to have my dream come true. And it was an amazing hour. I got to sit in for I I didn't even have to write you a check or anything. Amazing. It was was the greatest gift you could have ever given me. Honestly, your compliments compliments right now just are going to make me weepy. And, um, you know, just thank you. Thank thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank Um, you. Okay. First of all, can 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 I just ask? you before we get into all the stuff we planned to talk about. Um, How excited and happy were you, if you were, uh, that Joe Biden got the Democratic nomination? Because you you worked alongside this man. You know him very well. And a lot of people, including Lindsey Graham, talk about what a great person he is. Yeah. You know what I say about him, Leslie? I've been saying this. First of all, happy is like the greatest understatement, right? Uh, Back in the primaries, uh, you know, I don't do probably the same uh, level of media you do, but I was doing a lot of media and I kept saying in the primaries, don't count out the kid from Scranton. So when he came through as victorious as the nominee, it was like this incredible feeling for me personally and as a Democrat. Right. So it was like a multi-le- multi-layer happiness, if you will. Um, look, he. I think what I've been saying all along is it is very hard not to like Joe Biden. Even for people who aren't voting for him, the people listening to you when you're on Fox or me on Newsmax, I get this all the time. Well, I'm not voting for him maybe, but I like him. So, you know, what you see is what you get, this effervescent, warm grace, this just kindness, this this empathy, this man who just exudes love. Um, and I, I'm the proudest thing I can say about Joe Biden, honestly, is he's the same when the camera's on 
and he's exactly the same loving guy when the camera's off. And that's the greatest compliment I think we can pay anybody in public service. You know, also because you know him, what, what do you say to people who question his uh, cognitive ability and have talked about potential dementia because of his age or because of gaffes? I, where I sit, and I didn't work with him, uh, there were two things that I noticed. When I um, moderated the forum for the Teamsters in Iowa this past winter, and, you know, he was this far from me. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed is because he's a stutterer, when right. he started to stutter, he would take a deep breath. He would stop what he was saying. And I think sometimes he'd forget what he was saying because he was so focused on controlling the stuttering. Absolutely. I think that's something he's, you know, done perhaps his whole life. The other thing is I've seen him make gaffes his whole life. <laughs> well, that's, I just said this live yesterday. I was like, Wait, you're 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 shocked about his gaffes? He's been making gaffes for forty something years. So I mean, you know, yeah, I yeah, think it's just <laughs> drama at this point, right? You know, they just need something to pick on because they're losing and it's their campaign is flailing and they're desperate. But look to the first question. Um, I said this on the BBC this week. It just this is. I get choked up a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you because I was the victim of bullying as a young Latino gay man in South Texas in the seventies. And to me, questioning Joe Biden's mental acuity is a form of bullying for the reason you just stated, rather than us affirming and celebrating the fact that he has overcome a stutter his entire life. He had to fight, fight to overcome a stutter. And now, like you just described it perfectly, that's exactly what's happening. They'll take these momentary lapses where he has to think before he can speak. We're blessed, you and I. We don't have to stop for a second and think about it. It comes out naturally. For a stutterer, it doesn't. And you never get past that. So you're you're spot on in how you described it. That's exactly what's happening. And for those who have the audacity to call it something, some deficiency with his mental acuity. I say, shame on you. You're despicable for going there. You're desperate for going there and you're wallowing in the mud because that is just, it's, it, it sends a message to anybody with any disability, in my humble opinion, right? When I think the message should be, we are supporting you, we're with you, we congratulate you, we commend you, we celebrate you, we affirm you, we, we respect you. For, for living with the disability, overcoming the parts of it that you could, and living with what you can't. Let's talk about an announcement that could come down while we're talking, uh, and that is uh, Joe Biden's VP pick. First, are you concerned as somebody you know who, who worked with him as an advisor, uh, somebody who's a strong uh, Democrat, with the time that it's taken? Do you think that the, the length of time has kind of hurt the process and in a sense cause some infighting with Democrats over some of the people on that short list. You know, I'm really not, Leslie. I I actually haven't I haven't even felt like it's been delayed or it's taking too long. I I actually think it's been a positive thing uh, because it builds up the interest and the excitement and the anticipation. So I actually think it's been fantastic. And now look how excited we are. Like it could come now as we're speaking. It could be tomorrow morning. Of course, I hope they wait till the morning because they want you want the whole news cycle. Yeah. Thinking like a media guy. Uh, but I, I actually have a different perspective of it. I think it's been fantastic. They've done. They've been meticulous about it. They've been highly secretive. I'm very proud. It's not like we as Democrats to keep a secret this well. Um, <laughs> you know, 
People are texting me all day. Do you know? Have yeah. you? And I'm like, I have no idea. Right. And I'm so proud that I don't know because that means they are really keeping it under wraps. And this is exciting. It's mm-hmm. exciting. And listen, well, let's, what, let's be one honest. of the things Joe yeah. Biden has done is he's a politician who's kept his word because we know that it's going to be a woman unless he pulls completely right. some rabbit out of the hat. So let's now talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. Which is people are saying, got to be a minority, even more so, got to be a, an African-American, got to be a black yeah. woman. And and some people say that because it's going to be a woman, it's sexist. No, he's fulfilling a promise. That's um, right. And quite frankly, with, you know, uh, you know, women being, you know, half or more of the nation's population right. and, and making huge differences in elections, uh, you know, for the past few election cycles, I think it's smart. Um, and, and as a woman. Uh, but. Uh, is is it is it racist? Is it wrong to look at the diversity of the nation and the party and, and to follow suit? And even more so, specifically specifically an African American in light of the racial injustice, the Black Lives Matter movement, the the you know the protest and the cry for reform. I think it's a really fair question. I'm sure you get it a lot in your media interviews. I've been getting it a lot as well. Here's here's how I feel about it, uh, Leslie. Is this? Um, I'll tell you why I don't think it's racist, because the vice president has never said he was going to pick a woman of color. He simply said he was going to pick a woman. Had he, I think, gone into such specificity, then I think you can say, well, that's probably not the fairest approach. But he's never said that. And he's been very good about saying it's going to be a woman. So, no, I don't think it's racist in any way, shape or form. Uh, I personally think the greatest thing you and I can be the most proud of in this interview as Democrats is that we have a bench the size of Texas of women to pick from that are prepared and and talented and brilliant. And to your point, damn it, why shouldn't a woman be at the table of every decision facing this nation's future? She should be at that table, every meeting, every discussion. Uh, no, ab- absolutely. I concur 100%, 150%. Um, what do you think would happen, though, if he picked like the, you know, Elizabeth Warren or the governor of Michigan, who are two white chicks, and he's a white guy, and I can see, you know, minorities going, you are a Latino male, you know, going, here we go again. I mean, how how seriously, how bad do you think that would be for him as a pick? Or do you, do you not think it would be bad? I think it would be bad. I think it will be a tremendous amount of backlash, uh, being perfectly pragmatic and honest. I think there will be a huge backlash. Um, And let's be honest here. uh, Without African-American voters in this election cycle, Joe Biden wouldn't be the nominee. It is that simple. Yeah. I mean, yeah, got to go back to South Carolina. Very true. Absolutely. Without. Yeah. No, without without question. We're going to take a break. We're going to come right back to you. Don't go away. I'm Leslie Marshall. Quick break, and we'll be back with former senior advisor to Joe Biden, Movella. Uh, please follow him on Twitter, at Movella, M-O-E-V-E-L-A. We'll be talking more about Joe Biden as his campaign prepares for the big announcement as to who will stand beside Joe Biden on that Democratic ticket for the general election this November. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We are back. With our guest, I'm Leslie Marshall. Mo Vella is our guest, former senior advisor to Joe Biden. On Twitter, follow him at Mo Vella, M-O-E-V-E-L-A. Mo, thank you for holding. Welcome back. 
Um, we're talking about uh, Joe Biden preparing to uh, make his pick for VP announcement. Uh, but we have some other things um, to talk about as well. But let's finish up with that. Do you have a favorite? I'm not saying a prediction or if you want to give a prediction, fine. Uh, but do you have a favorite um, of the women that, you know, we hear that Joe Biden has spoken to and is looking at on that short list for a potential VP? You know, Leslie, I, I honestly, I'm prepared to have her back. <laughs> and so which uh, there's not probably anybody in America today more equipped and prepared to select a vice presidential candidate than Joe Biden himself. So I trust his judgment. He knows exactly what characteristics and traits are needed. <laughs> um, he's got so many incredible women to pick from. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think, you know, I agree with the short list, frankly, that everyone's talking about. I think Senator Harris, um, you know, Susan Rice, um, I think uh, even Elizabeth Warren might be on a short list, right? Or a uh, Governor Whitmer, uh, Senator Duckworth. I, I think those are probably your top five, I would think. Uh, and I, I tell you, even I can live with any one of those incredible women. And I can't wait. I just, I, sw I swear to God, I get goosebumps because I can't wait till it's announced, whether it's tomorrow or Thursday or later tonight. Because, my God, is it going to be a great day in America um, when we have a woman on the ticket in the vice president slot? And unfortunately, we, you know, we should have had a woman president in Hillary. I was, uh, you know, such a huge advocate of her campaign and candidacy. And we can talk about that another day. But you know what, dadgummit, I said it earlier, damn it, a woman belongs on the ticket at the table and in leadership in this country. Look at the yeah. countries, by the way. Look at New Zealand. Woman leader. Like you can count this many <laughs> infections, right? COVID's not even like, you know. Well, they only have, they get this. They had one case after what, 102 days? She shut it down. She <laughs> shut know. one case. And you know and what I love? People in New Zealand are like, okay. Okay. You know, yes, we have, we have a, they had a mass shooting at a mosque, right? With AK-47, yeah. I believe it was. What did she say? No yeah. more AK-47s. And everybody was like, okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that's part of our problem as Americans that, you know, uh, we've. I think put a woman in charge. I've been, you know, I, you have to remember, I cut my teeth. Uh, my first campaign was Ann Richards for governor. And, and Miss Ann. I yeah. you, if you're listening up there in the, in the great Texas I guy, know. love I, that woman. Love yeah. her. She raised me politically. And I remember one time, Leslie, uh, what a fitting time to talk about Ann Richards for a second, because. We're about to have a woman on the ticket. So Anne, like you said, is beaming in heaven. But I remember one time when during her candidacy for governor, they said, I was, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. They said, would you watch the headquarters while we all go to the union convention, the unions in Texas, all gathered together for an endorsement convention? And I, I opened the door and I'm by myself in this whole headquarters. And here comes Ann Richards. And she sits with me on a little bench. And I said, Miss Ann, what are you doing here? Uh, every, I said, everyone says the union. Can, she said, Mo Jr., let me tell you something. I was victorious. And I'm like, oh, we got the endorsement. She said, no, darling. Sometimes you win when you keep others from getting the endorsement. Uh, and that was one of my greatest political lessons of my whole career. And, you know, I didn't know her just knowing her from things yeah. I saw back in the day. I yeah. can hear her saying oh, that. Yeah. It seems so, so, true, so true to form. Hey, the Democrats just announced the full list of convention speakers. 
What do you think of John Kasich? What do you think of Andrew Yang not being part of the gang? Yeah, what's up with that? I don't I, know. I don't either understand. I don't get that at all. I mean, I, I'm I'm hoping, obviously, it's not finished. I think it's still a work in progress, is what I'm told. So I, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, on the Kasich, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, frankly, I think we should, in the Joe Biden spirit, right, and in Joe Biden's style, this is a, th- talk about what I learned from Ann Richards. I'll tell you what I learned from Joe Biden. Uh, and I don't want to take up all your time here, but this is a, an anecdotal personal story that I to- don't tell often, but I would love to tell it on your show. Uh, we were on Air Force Two, first trip overseas. I'm I'm going with them. We're going to Chile and Costa Rica. Dr. Biden's on the trip. He's on the trip. I barely know them, right? This is like week two. Um, and I'm sitting on a couch next to him. And we were trying to do some Obama policy, and some Republican senator was bashing the hell out of it. Well, I, of course, in my little Texas nature, said, that damn blah, 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 and I named the Republican, and I'm calling him ugly curse words. And Biden looks over, and he grabs my forearm, Leslie, and he said, Mo, that's my friend. And he said, we may not agree on this policy matter, but we both love this country. We just agree. We disagree on how we're to make her better. Mm. And that is Joe Biden. Because that ability to connect with people and it's real, you know? Mm. And he, yeah, I mean, he got a lot of grief for saying he liked Republicans, but, you know, that's so true. Just like Ellen DeGeneres got grief for saying she liked George W. Bush. And one of the greatest pictures is Michelle Obama and George W. Bush embracing with their eyes closed. I mean, yes, I mean, and I'm with you. I think they should have more Republicans speaking as a Democratic convention. How are we going to get the moderate Republican vote that was Obama, Obama, Trump? How are we going to get them back if. Or that that person who's like. I don't go on Newsmax. Right. That person who's like, I'm still a Republican, but I don't like what this means has done to my party. I'm still still a Republican, but I don't want to vote for Donald Trump. Speaking of Donald Trump. We welcome you. And that's the message the Democratic Party needs to be sending. We welcome you as an independent. We welcome you as a Republican who agrees with us that this man is immoral and indecent and he's wrong for this country. Please come to our tent. You're welcome. Even if you leave it after this, we're still going to love you while you're in the tent with us. I think Joe Biden to Dr. Biden speaking is great because, uh, it, you know, people that you know her and people who have seen her speak, um, she's intelligent. There's a warmth yeah. there. And I think yeah. it also can give you an alternative of the package <laughs> that, that you know, Democrats yeah. are putting forth. I, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I'll tell you, um, she is I'm so glad you brought her up. Nobody gives me the chance to say something about her. I have to tell you. Of all the people I've met in my life in politics, she ranks up in the top three of the most amazing souls, human being. Really? This lady is salt of the earth. As we say in Spanish, puro corazón, mm-hmm. all heart. Mm-hmm. I can't say enough good things about Who Dr. are the Kevin. other two? <laughs> Ann Richards is one of them, by the way. Uh-huh. Has always been for me. I considered Anne my political mom. She raised me politically and she has a spot so deep in my heart. I, I still, I can't take her out of my phone, Leslie. I have Anne Richards I get in that. my phone. Seat. I get that. Yeah, you I know. get that. Okay, so who's um, the other? So you said top three. Uh, Anne Richards, <laughs> Dr. Jill Biden, and Bar- Barbara Jordan. 
Oh, really? Barbara Jordan played a very impactful role in my life. I had the, the privilege of getting to know her and considering her a friend early in my political career and late in her life. And, so, and interesting you named three women. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. Gay, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for you, gay men. Thank God for you all. <laughs> did, 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 um, there, we, we only have a couple of minutes. So there's a uh, new poll out. It shows a majority of Americans don't trust Trump on the coronavirus. Is this election, in your opinion, going to be a referendum on COVID-19? And should it be? It absolutely should be. I will quickly say this to you. Uh, I'm very, very proud to be able to tell you that there are very few of us who can say that they sat on the White House Emergency Preparedness and Continuity of Government Working Council. I sat on it twice in my life, twice. I know what Donald Trump was supposed to have done. I know what they were supposed to have done to prepare so that you can prevent pandemics, terrorist attacks, and these kinds of uh, calamities. That had not been done, Leslie. This man not only failed our nation, right? He abysmally, abysmally, just neglect, abhorrent neglect. I, I, I can testify to it myself because I know what was supposed to have happened and it clearly had not happened. So you can wish it away, you can pray it away, you can hoax it away, but you know what? It will be a referendum. It should be a referendum. And he should fail miserably because of it. We have seconds. Yes or no. Um, if Joe Biden, we hope, is elected president in November, do you think you'll end up going to work for that administration? No, because I want to be back on your show and I want to sit in for you again. And I wouldn't be able to do either of those things if I went back in. Oh, my God. Actually, no. Go ahead and do it, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll work on that. Out. I adore you. I adore you. Thanks I for what you do for our nation, honey. I, I adore you, and likewise. I, I so much love having you on the show today. Mwah. Big, big, big kiss. And okay. uh, with red lipstick. <laughs> so. right. No lipstick, but that's okay. And, and to your producer, Mark, we say thank you for what he does for America yep, by Mark, putting your show on. Yes, Marky Mark Romaldi works his butt. Without Mark, there would be no Leslie, trust me. Uh, Movella, everyone, please follow him on Twitter, at Movella, M-O-E-V-E-L-A, and also watch him on Newsmax. He uh, he is a uh, sane voice uh, in the, uh, in, in the uh, conservative cray-cray there. Ah, I'm Leslie Marshall. Thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day and evening. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. At LOC Credit Union, we want to make your car more affordable with best-in-market vehicle loan rates as low as 1.49% fixed APR. Easily apply online at LOCCreditUnion.com. NCUA insured, equal housing lender. Rate quoted as up to 60 months and 100% financing.